pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. God is good. Jesus. Father God, I just thank you for this amazing body of people. God, you have so many incredible, gifted, talented, anointed, faithful servants represented just in this room. God, you have called them. You have anointed them. You have set them apart. God, you have placed your seal upon them. God, you have given them the Holy Spirit to guide them, to lead them. And Jesus, I pray that they would know who they are in you. That with you, all things are possible. God, I thank you. It was prophetic, the songs that we sang today in worship. Because, God, that is what you are doing in us. There's a lot of things going on just in our family, in our body, Lord Jesus. But, God, you are able. And help us not forget that. Help us remember that you, you are able to give us that mustard seed faith that can move mountains. And, Lord, there's mountains in our workplaces. There's mountains in our, in our family, in our friends, in our community communities that need to be moved in Jesus name. And God, we thank you that that the good work you began, you will bring to completion. And God, that you are still active and you're, you are still moving among your people, among your church today, that your word is still powerful. God, that you are still able to save, deliver, transform, that you are the God above every God, that you are the Lord above all. And God, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And so, God, help us not forget the power that is in the name of Jesus. Help us not forget that through you we can do all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I get the, the privilege to start the new series called All Things Are Possible. I love this. This is also the theme of our Ohio for Jesus initiative that we have with all Assembly of God churches. Because we believe that unless the church wakes up, that we are heading towards even more dangerous times than we've already seen. And so we also believe, though, that God is not done with his people and he is not done with his church. That we have been born for such a time as this. And so sometimes it could be so easy to be so discouraged and to say, man, everything going around is just, why even try? And yet, God wants to remind you why today. Because he is still God. And because he still is the same today as he was, the, the, what we read about in the Bible. He is still the same today as when we got saved back in the 80s, 70s, 90s, or five years ago. He can still move and do miracles. And so, friends, I want to encourage you today. Um, what I believe that we need to begin with is prayer. We got to get back to the simplicity of prayer, and we got to get back to the power of prayer. We got to remember that, that prayer is what really, uh, it's really the foundation of revival. It's really, it's one of the foundations of the church. And it's so easy, though to grow stale. It's so easy to, to just go through the motions of prayer and not to have that passion in prayer anymore. And so today, as we begin this series that all things are possible, I want to start with a message that's called Unlock Your Prayer Life to See the Impossible. It's not. It's not. 
But since I don't have an acronym, my points will start with a P today because I'm pretty consistent, okay? <laughs> All, we want to unlock our prayer life to see the impossible. Prayer is the key to communion and communication with God. Jesus is the door and prayer is the key. I'm going to quote my favorite revivalist. He's long been with the Lord. His name is Leonard Ravenhill. If you have never read Why Revival Terries, Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill. Friends, have you even, it's not a hard read. It's a book that that's, if you're not, a, okay, it's a book like that big. I don't think it's a hard read. It's, I've read it multiple times. Um, I think you could, I, a hard read in the fact that when you read it, you will get slapped a little bit. That's what you probably mean by a hard read. But it's not like a difficult, it's not difficult content to understand. But yeah, okay, that's, I'm sorry. When you say hard read, I'm like, no, I, I'm reading some books that are a hard read right now. But this book is, it, it, it is convicting. So that's, that it, but it's so good. It's so good. I, I don't know about you, but I actually really enjoy being convicted because that means the Holy Spirit loves me enough and sees, sees things inside of me that he wants to bring alignment to. Like, too often we get, I want the Holy Spirit to convict me, not my husband, okay? But listen, when the Holy Spirit convicts me, it's great. So let's move on to Leonard Ravenhill quotes. This is going to make you want to read the book. A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? When you know that you're kind of, you're doing some stuff that you know you probably shouldn't be doing, you probably aren't really talking to God about it. Come on, let's be real, right? You, okay, but when we start talking to God about it, he starts bringing conviction and then he starts showing us areas to change. Maybe he, sh he shares with us, okay, you need to talk to this person about this situation so that they can give some wisdom. Maybe you need to see a counselor. Maybe you need to get a mentor or a coach, somebody in your life that can pour into you. Maybe you just need to answer the altar call at church and, and take a step of faith, right? He will show you what to do. So a sinning man will stop praying. A praying man will stop sinning. The secret of praying is praying in secret. Ain't that, ain't that it right there. So today, the main text that we're going to be coming out of is a familiar text. You probably have read it before or heard of it before. We're going to go there together. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to just look at the screen or pull it on your phone, it's Matthew 7. So we're going to go from Matthew 7, um, verse 7 through 11. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? <clears throat> Isn't that good? Isn't that good? It reminds us. I, I love this because it helps put things in perspective for us. If you are a parent in this place and, and your child says, man, I'm hungry. You don't go outside and make a mud pie and say, eat this. Like you will do what you can to feed them. When they get grown, you say, go to the refrigerator and like make yourself a sandwich. But <laughs> when they're little, you're going to go make them some food if you see that they're hungry. And in comparison to God, our parenting, even the best parents, even the parents who have raised the most successful, most awesome, most incredible children, their parenting skills is 
trash compared to God. I couldn't think of a better word besides trash compared to God. <laughs> we all still, most of us as adults, we're still working out some things that maybe our parents who did the best they knew how to do probably missed it in some ways with us, right? But God does not miss it with us at all. He is a good father. And so sometimes it's hard for us to understand that. But friends, Look at it from your perspective as a parent. You try the best you can. You miss it. I know I miss it with my kids, but I, I am trying, and I am growing, and I'm, I'm trying to become a better parent, a better version of who God has created me to be to help raise them up, and so are you with your children, okay? God doesn't have to try. He just is. And so he says if we ask him, we will receive. So three keys. You ready? Say three keys to effective prayer. Yeah, see, the Bible says that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, and we want effective prayer. Amen? One, pray with persistence. Say persistence. Mm-hmm. I love this word. You know, there's a lot of words that I'm not, uh, that, that in the Bible that I'm like, man, I need to really grow on this. But persistence is not one of them. That is something that comes natural for me, to be persistent. <laughs> to be persistent. It's like, you have to, you have to be persistent, okay? Someone move him to the back. He's throwing me off today. <laughs> oh, Lord, that's that spicy worship he had, okay? Prayer with persistence. Prayer is one of the most lacking practices in Christian faith today. It's sad to me that we see other faiths, and this is not to dog anyone, but we see other faiths, that, that are so, like other religions that are so faithful in praying to a God who is not even real. That they stop in the middle of their workday to pray. And yet Christians don't even find 15 minutes a day to commune with the God above all gods, the one true God. Right? Typically we pray maybe before meals unless we're really hungry and it's like we take a couple bites and we're like, oops. Forgive me, God, for the food I've already eaten. <laughs> I've said those. <laughs> Sometimes we pray when we go to bed. Nevertheless, we, we often fail to have an attitude where we pray without ceasing, as the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Little Ravenhill says it like this. Weak in prayer, weak everywhere. Lord, asking it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. For the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be open. See a deeper understanding of this ask, seek, knock concept is understanding that all of these are verbs. They're action words and they they need action. Therefore we must understand prayer is being active rather than passive. And I think that we need to understand that prayer needs to be offensive, not just defensive. So often the only times we see people who are Christians praying is when they're in a crisis. And yes, let's pray when we're in a crisis. We better turn to God in a crisis. Many of us got saved in a crisis, me included. However, it can't be the only thing. We need to get in front of the crisis and pray. But we're so distracted by everything else that we don't stay persistent here. 
And that's why we need to do some things to remind us to pray. Have a, get a prayer journal. Write some prayer points. Tape it on your mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it wherever you need to remember. Put a reminders in your phone to shut your phone down at a certain time. It's time to pray. There's so many, so many resources. I have an app called Ministry Pulse that, that I get to do every night that, that has me kind of journal my, my highlights of my day, my things that I need to do over and a time to pray. You know, we need to take, we need to have prayer be a daily office. And, and often when we read in the Bible, they didn't just pray before meals and, and at night before bed, but there would be multiple times a day that they would meet with the Lord in prayer. And then when we hold a once a month, and this is not to bash everybody, I know that we're busy, but we hold once a month prayer meeting, and it's hard to get two or three people. And listen, I don't even come to all of them because I get it. Life is busy. But, man, busy sometimes is being underneath Satan's yoke. There's your acronym. <laughs> right? Sometimes it is. And we got to make it. And, and, and maybe you can't make it out, out to the building here, but can you take time that you're praying at your home during that time? Can we come together in unity and pray and seek his face? Because if we want to see people in our family saved, if we want to see marriages healed, if we want to see our children truly know him, we better be praying for them. We better be doing our job as Christians who believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and life and pray for people. See, what I love about this ask, seek, and knock concept is that it actually, it's, if you really get to understand the Greek and what it means, it means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's not just a one-time ask, a one-time seek, a one-time knock, boom, there it is. It's a, it's a persistence. It's being persistent. It's consistently going before him, asking, seeking, and knocking, and not giving up. Luke 18, 1 through 8 is the parable of the persistent widow. Mm, I, I, I love this, this story. It says, then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Why did he show him this story? To tell them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither, neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. It was just one of those kind of guys. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for those chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Friends, man, there is such a secret weapon of prayer that has been lost in the church We've replaced it with smokes and lights and all kinds of fun things to do. But we have forgotten that the most basic Christian discipline is praying. And we got to get back. We want to see the impossible. We got to get back to persistent prayer. Friends, persistency is key to unlocking your prayers. We must not give up. 
One of my favorite quotes in prayer is this, pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depends on you. See, what happens is oftentimes as we're praying and seeking and knocking, God will show us what to do. But if we aren't praying, seeking and knocking, then we're just out doing what we think is best. And even if we have every good intention in the world, our best isn't what God's best is. So let's keep seeking. Let's keep asking. Let's keep knocking. Let's keep going before him. Let's be persistent. Let's pray for our family. Let's pray for our friends. Let's pray for our coworkers. Let's pray for our, our generations. Let's pray for the America. Let's, we we want to sit there and, and get worried about everything that's going on. Let worry be a trigger to make you pray that we need God in America again. We need God in our young people again. We need God in our schools again. We need God in our workplaces, in our communities. And we need God in our churches again, friends. Let us pray. Amen. Unlocking your prayer life, it not only is it by persistency, but we have to remember God's promises. If we want another key to unlock your prayer life, it's God's promises. Take God at his word and believe him when he says he's going to do it. Our part is to ask. God's part is to, to answer. Remember our text. Which of you, if your son has asked for bread, We'll give him a stone, or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. And then though we are evil, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will your Father in heaven give a good gift to those who ask him? God is a good Father. And though in our culture today, we don't always have that example for us, God promises to hear us when we pray. Every prayer from every believer is heard and answered by God. I like this right here. It says, if a request is wrong... God says no. If the timing is, is wrong or terrible, well, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. Isn't that good? I can't remember who I got that from. I didn't make it up, so don't give me the credit. <laughs> yes, and, here, and sometimes God does say no. If our request is correct and the timing is proper and, you're, and you are right, God says go. Remember, the first thing I said is if your request is wrong, right? You're praying out of selfish motives. God says no. If our timing is wrong, God says slow. If we are wrong because we're not right with God, then God says grow. And if all of the things line up right, then God says go. Often we are our own answer to our prayer. You get that? Okay. So right now, I want to hit a couple of things that, that are hindrances of prayer, okay? We need to remember God's promises are yes and amen. I love that, right? That means yes and yes again. His promises are like double yes, right? And that's what it means because amen means agreement. And so God's promises are yes and amen. He might have given you a promise over your life. Hold on to that. Just because you don't see it yet, maybe it's not right timing yet, but hold on to that. Don't give up. Don't forget that his promises are yes and amen. However, there are some things that the enemy, the world, our culture, and our flesh will put before us to hinder us from prayer. Number one is laziness. I mean, there's just no, there's no nice way of saying that. Laziness. Number one is laziness. We cannot err in the way we pray. We can only err in prayerlessness. Did I? Did I get that from you? Or you could have gotten from me because this, this, and I got them from you. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Thessalonians 5, 17 
Pray continually. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Acts 2.42, they devote themselves they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, fellowships, and breaking of bread and prayer. Ain't that good? So laziness, that is a hindrance to prayer. You know what else is a hindrance to prayer? A lack of holiness. Not being right standing with God. Proverbs 28, 9, if anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. James uh, 5.16 says the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. You know, there's a scripture in 1 Peter um, that, that talks about uh, husbands who aren't right with their wives, that, that their prayers hit the ceiling, basically, and don't, because you have to be in right relationship with the people that you're close to. I tell my boys all the time when they're fighting, I'm like, how can you hate your brother that you see and say you love a God that you don't see? That's scripture, friends. And so often, a lack of holiness is really what it, what it breaks down to is a, is a lack of respect and kindness even towards the people that are in our own household. And so we're wondering God won't hear our prayer. We just got done cussing out our wife or cussing out our husband. Maybe that's why. Ooh, I'm sorry. I'm getting in your business a little bit today. But listen, we need to get right. We need to get right. And guess what? It's okay to humble ourselves. And apologize. Even in front of our children, there's times that we have to apologize. Like, let's become emotionally mature people and say, you know what? I need some space right now. I'm a little upset. I need to calm down and just be alone for a minute. We can, we can further this discussion later. Like, be aware of yourself. If your emotions are heightened or you're super hungry, hello, <laughs> it's probably not the best time to have a serious conversation with somebody. Like, we have to, we have to grow in this area, guys. We have to be right. So a lack of holiness, or, or I like to say a lack of righteousness, not being right with, with each other. And yet we want to, you know, be right with God, but we're not right with each other. The Bible says lay our gifts down at the offer, uh, our offering down at the altar and go make it right with somebody. Another thing that hinders our prayer is wrong motives. This is so funny, too, because um, some of my good friends just moved back to uh, this area from down south, and they're going to be coming to church here. But um, they, their son... They they uh, is in a in a baseball game or whatever, and um, <laughs> and she was like, oh, if he loses this baseball game, then then we get to come to church tomorrow. Apparently, down south they don't have uh, travel games on Sundays, but this is the north, and there's absolutely no respect for Sundays, so they do. And they were like, I didn't know. So anyway, um, so I prayed that 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 a poor boy would lose his game yesterday. So I, I got this message together, and, I, and she said she prayed it too. And so I texted her this morning. I said, I said, well, I should pull it out. I can't remember how I said that. It was quite funny. Um, <laughs> I texted her this morning, and I, and I asked her, oh, I asked her this. I said, were our prayers, did our prayers availeth much, or were they proven to be selfish? And she sent me back this funny, like, video uh, of somebody, like, making this, like, little face like this and said, selfish child. I said, oh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> we'll see you next week. But isn't it funny, though? Sometimes we don't realize that we do pray with selfish motives. 
<laughs> you know, like oftentimes when young people, they like to say the get them God prayers because for some reason they remember that. When we get mad at somebody, we're like, get them God, go show that person God, God, get them. Like he's like, you know, like how we used to do when we were a kid and you had an older, a older sibling and you saw someone picking on your younger sibling and you'd be like, if you were the older child like me, I would, I'd beat up a little boy across the street for picking on my little brother. Like, come on, let's go. That's the kind of person I was. But we all, right, we have different people like that in our life that's like, oh, you know, if someone's going to, if someone's going to mess with me, let me find somebody else. But God is not like that because he sees the whole picture and he's not going to be manipulated. And oftentimes when we pray those get them God prayers, they're selfish in nature and God usually turns around and gets us. He usually turns around and gets us. And so we got to watch our motives. There's no wrong way or, or uh, there's, there are no right or wrong ways to pray, only wrong motives, right? James 4, 2, and 3 says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives to spend what you get on your pleasures, this is the scripture the Lord first gave me in the first year of our marriage when we lived in a little tiny little efficiency apartment that could literally fit mm, maybe inside the kids thing. It was tiny. I mean, super tiny. And, and we were both first, we're both firstborn children and we both had a little alpha in us. And so we would fight over everything. <laughs> and, and that's when I was praying those get them God prayers, like God get them. You know, like I thought that I was going to get married. And anytime I had a problem, I could go sit in my husband's lap. He would pet my head and tell me, it's okay, baby, and give me whatever I wanted. But I would come to him with all my emotional turmoil. And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, what is this? What is this? And we would fight over silly, silly things. And I would pray some selfish prayers. And the Lord showed me this. He said, the only person I can control is myself. That all other control is witchcraft. Self-control is the only control, control in the Bible that's of him. And that the reason why sometimes we don't see the breakthrough we want to see is because we are being selfish. And God wants us to grow. Oh, I know. But he said it really nice to me. <laughs> but it is what it is. So I took this scripture, this portion of scripture, and I wrote it out in, in my own handwriting. And I stuck it on the mirror when I did my makeup. And I would look at it every morning. So I got that in my head. And friends, I'm telling you, the hardest work you will ever do is the work that you do on yourself. That is the hardest work you will ever do. And it, most of us stop working on ourselves and we give up and just say, oh, I'm 65 years old. That's who I am. <laughs> right, I'm not picking on any 65-year-olds, okay? I'm just saying that was the first number that came to my head, okay? We all do it, though. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's bad, it's bad, okay? <laughs> uh, spicy worship and a spicy message, this is all going together. But this is the thing, friends, God's promises are true, and he promises to give us good gifts, but sometimes we are hindered from receiving them because these things keep us from praying. So let's not do that, okay? So number three, unlock your prayer life by understanding the Holy Spirit is the power of our prayer. When I was praying about this, I was like, man, I really feel like we need to get back into remembering that we need the Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus, he died on the cross before he even went to the cross for our sins. He prayed in the garden. He prayed with such intensity, with such power that he was literally sweating blood. Like that's intense, right? I was sweating yesterday on the three little mile walk that I was trying to do with these kids, but it didn't come out blood, thank God. But he had such intensity when he wasn't exercising, but he was praying with such passion that he bled before he even got to the cross. His blood, his blood was shed for us in prayer before he ever made the sacrifice on the cross. Let that seek in for a second. That's power. And then after he died on the cross and then on the third day rose again, and then he appeared to uh, people, disciples and other people in, a, in a, a matter of 40 days. Before he was teaching them and showing them, he let Peter or he let Thomas touch his nail-scarred hands. He, he revealed himself to people. Before he left, he met with the disciples on the mountain. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise that my father has given you, that the Holy Spirit will come on you and give you power. I don't understand how so many Christians miss this part of the Bible. Like, and say that this stuff ceased after the disciples. Like if the disciples who actually walked with Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, us 2,000 years removed from that, why wouldn't we need the Holy Spirit? It just doesn't like logically make sense to me at all. And so here they are and, and, and they see Jesus ascend into heaven, like, uh, like fly up to heaven, right? And they go back and they're praying. That's what they do. And they're praying in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes on them in power. Just a couple months earlier than that, Peter was hiding from a servant girl, a, a servant girl who said, don't you know, don't you know Jesus? And he's like, no, I do not know Jesus. And then someone else asked him, he's like, no. And they're like, your accent's giving you away. We know you're a Galilean. We know you're one of his disciples. And he's like calling down curses on himself. No, I don't know him. I don't know. And now he's filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room. After he experienced the Holy Spirit with the gift of, of tongues and, and interpretation, he goes outside and he begins to preach because people are like, who are these people speaking in our own language? And he begins to preach and 3,000 were saved. Now he's a man of boldness. And we see all throughout the book of Acts, he's getting arrested and, and uh, supernaturally angels are releasing him from jail. And he's doing all these incredible things. Shadows are healing people. And he was a coward before the Holy Spirit. Friends, if Peter needed the Holy Spirit, if John needed the Holy Spirit, if Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was in the upper room, needed the Holy Spirit, who, what makes us think we can do this Christian walk without the Holy Spirit? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It, it talks about in Matthew 7, it talks about ask, seek, knock, right? That's our main, our main verses for today. It also shares that in another synoptic gospel in, gospel in Luke in 11. And I'm not going to read all of it now, but it shares that too. And then it goes on in, in that, and it says when you ask the promise, it says, though, when you ask for the Holy Spirit. In Luke, he tells you what the promise is. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will receive it when you ask the Father. So, friends, I want to encourage you, if you do not know how to pray for a specific situation, one of my favorite things to do is speak in tongues. Because I can't have a selfish prayer when I speak in tongues. I can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm praying. But I know that the Holy Spirit is praying something glorious and perfect. So why would I, why would I not want to do that on the daily? I mean, on the daily. There's something else. 
about praying in tongues that I have found, and I'm going to research this more. I have not researched it enough, but I have heard, and I know I've experienced it for myself, that there's a calming element of, of speaking in tongues and not like actually even knowing what I'm praying, but by faith believing that when I'm praying in tongues, that the Holy Spirit is praying is a perfect prayer and that it's empowering not only to me, but to, to, to the heavenlies. And it also, for me, when I feel anxious about something, when I start praying in tongues, it takes away anxiety. It really does. It, it calms me. And so I just want to encourage you. There's so much more. There's, I have teachings of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time today to hit all of them for you, but I'm telling you, go after it and don't wait. Don't wait. Be persistent. Ask the Lord to give you it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't, don't feel like, oh, I haven't got it yet. And I've been praying for two years. Um, Miss uh, Bessie was praying for how many years? Over 20 and received it last year at our women's retreat. Over 20. God knows when you're going to get it. Just keep, but don't give up. Oh, I haven't got it yet. So, oh, well, I guess it's not for me. The Bible says it's for everyone who believes. Are you a everyone? Like, yes, you are. So it is for you. Okay? So we just ha we, we have to trust, like I said, his timing with things. You know, Jubilee really wants to drive right now, but it's not her time yet. But it's coming, baby girl. It's coming wherever she went. Oh, see, I'm talking about her. She's in the bathroom. It's coming. And we just have to keep on waiting. Okay? So I want to talk real quick about how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want to you hear this? We're going to hit it real quick, though, Okay? So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, we take God at his word. We take him at his word. When he says in Acts 2, 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off, all whom the Lord will, God will call, we believe it. That means you, your children, and all those who are far off, it's for you. So we take God at his word and we believe what he says. Read the book of Acts and, and go through it again and see that this is for you. This is not a gift that God gave just to the first century Christians and that he no longer gives his children. This promise is for you and your children, not just one generation. Amen. Okay, number two. So we, we take him at his word. Number two, we desire to be feel, filled. We desire it. We ask, we want it. We, there's something about desire. There's something about wanting, like, to wanting it. Like, even if you think of relationships and marriage, like, even though Josh and I have been married almost 21 years now then this month, there still has to be a pursuit. There still has to be a desire to want to be together. Okay? So desire to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen? Number three, recognize your desperate need for the Holy Spirit. So not only should there be a desire, there needs to be a desperation. Jesus considered the baptism of the Holy Spirit so vital that he expressly forbade his disciples to begin their ministry until they had received it. Come on. He knew it was essential. The Holy Spirit was essential. The baptism for power the whole, that, that the Holy Spirit provides, that it was essential for power, okay? My husband says it this way. He says, wait in prayer. Walk in power. I know that one's yours. I'm debating you on other points. Okay. <laughs> Walk in prayer. Wait in power. Number four, ask God. Ask him to fill you and, and to fill you up with the spirit. Just ask. Again, going back to our test, text, 
That's the main text for today in Matthew 7. I encourage you guys to memorize that. Ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. Be that persistent widow, ask for the Holy Spirit, and believe that he will give it to you. Okay? Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And number five, obey his promptings of the Holy Spirit when he asks. Obey his promptings. The baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by initial physical um, evidence of speaking in tongues. Oftentimes, um, that's how, how the Spirit comes upon people. So sometimes when we're praying and we feel the Holy Spirit on us, we might even feel his presence, maybe even in our, in our um, throat. But we have to obey his promptings. We still have to open our mouth and trust that he's going to fill it. Amen? So obey his promptings. You don't, it doesn't mean that you have to be shaking and falling out and, and running around the church. Hey, I ain't going to be mad at you if you do, if it's really the Holy Spirit, right? And you're not putting on a spectacle because I've seen it done. <laughs> and prayer a couple, uh, couple months ago with Andrew. <laughs> y'all missed him. Come on, y'all got to come this Tuesday, right? The Holy Spirit does want to move on you, but we have to obey his promptings. Oftentimes, we, we, want, we want the gift without, without the obedience, and that's not how it works, right? All right, um, I'm going to end with this story. I've shared this before. In 2013, we, ha we took our kids to, to camp, to Camp Mishindo. We're going to do it again. And uh, the Holy Spirit moved in such a powerful way. It was still to this day maybe the most powerful uh, experience I've ever experienced in church. Um, it was not planned. It was not organized. I tell people all the time, and they're like, oh, I'm against organized religion. I'm like, come to our church. You will so fit in. <laughs> like, it, it just, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, you know how you sometimes, like, there's sometimes you go to conferences, you know it's going to be like two, two fast songs, two slow songs. Someone's going to get up there. It was, it was not that organized. Like, we were just praying, and then we, we gave a simple message that was way more simple than this, talking about if you, you know, ask your father for a good gift, he will give it to you. And these kids came flooding to the altar, and, and there was, to tell you the truth, there was only a few of us that were adult leaders that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. There wasn't that many of us. There was more adult leaders that t at, at that camp that weren't filled than ones who were. And so it wasn't like they were mimicking us or that we taught them how to do it. And you can't teach this. These kids came up and they were praying, Faith, you guys know Faith. She goes to our church. She's at Bowling Green. <clears throat> she was the very first ki kid, I don't know how old she was then, like 10 or 11 years old, that was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She still stood a ted, uh, uh, head taller than, than everybody even back then. And she just began praying and crying like it was just a beautiful, I mean, kind of loud. <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing. And, and then other kids gathered around her. And then someone who's not as loud or as out there um, started speaking in tongues. And that was Shua. He started speaking in tongues. He was nine years old at the time. And he started speaking in tongues. And then Jubilee, who wasn't even supposed to be at camp because she wasn't old, old enough, but she came with us. She also... Um, came up, and, and she says something, she probably uh, gets tired of hearing the story, but it was, I believe, prophetic what she said at seven years old. She looked at me with her cute little seven-year-old face, and she said, Mom, she's got it. She pointed to Faith, and he's got it, and she pointed to Shua, but I want it. And I said, Jubilee, if you want it, don't look at me, don't look at her. You look to God in heaven, and you ask your daddy for it, and he will give it to you. And so, like a faith of a child at seven years old, she looked up to heaven and she said, Daddy, I want it. And that's it. 
and boom, this girl who was super shy at that time, like hardly like wouldn't talk to anyone, starts speaking in tongues louder than both Faith and Shua in the whole room together, start crying, and God moved on her in such a powerful way. After that, tons of people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we weren't like, hey, come up to this line, stand over here. We didn't, have, we didn't know what to do. We're just like, Jesus, just do your thing. These kids start flooding the altar. They started praying for one another. Friends, if we can see this, if God can do this with children, I know he can do it with us too, but we have to have the faith to believe it. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. This series is about the impossible. And friends, we need God to do the impossible. And all things are possible with him. But I believe that there's a lot of distractions in our culture right now that are keeping us back from the main thing. This whole, (laughs) there's so many of them. I'm I'm not even gonna give airtime to the distractions that are out there right now. But we have to be careful that we're not distracted by earthly, fleshy, carnal things that we're missing out on what God wants to do in our life. If you're in this place right now and you know that you know that you know that you got to step up your prayer time, would you raise your hand up before the Lord? Raise your hand up before the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I haven't done this in, in a really long time, but I just, I really felt this morning as I was driving in that I was supposed to give an altar call today. And it, it I don't know what it's going to look like or or what's going to happen. But if you're, you know, if you're at this place and and you don't have to answer the altar call, but if you feel like, man, I want to, I just want to come up here. It's not about me laying hands on you and praying for you, although I'm going to try to annoy each person that comes up. But if if you feel like, man, I I just know I need to, I need to make that that commitment. I need to obey that prompting and saying, you know what? I do. I need to step up my prayer time. Would you just come up here just as a sign of faith that, you know what? I am going to step up. I'm not going to just raise my hand and say, I'm gone on. I need to. I'm actually going to do it. 